Hey folks, thanks for checking out Missio Church in Manor, Iowa. You are listening to audio recorded at our Sunday morning service. If you'd like any more information on the gospel or would like to learn more about Missio Church, you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com backslash Missio Mount Air. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. Grass withers, the flower fades, the word of our God stands forever. So our text this morning, it's kind of an expounding upon the verse that Jim covered uh, in the last half of his sermon last week, this passage of enter by the narrow gate, right? Because broad is the way, wide and easy is the way that leads to destruction, and those that enter by it are many. But narrow is the gate that leads to life, and there are few that find it. And so then Jesus now is going to go on as Jim rightly and helpfully pointed out this is kind of a summary here now or, or not a summary it's a it's a finishing this is the end here of the sermon on the mount and he goes away and leaves the people with some very serious warnings here at this end he's he's gone through what should mark us as kingdom citizens but he's not unaware of the dangers that exist in this world We've gone through a lot of just, this is what it looks like to live like the king's people. This is, this is how you are to live in the world. This is the kind of character that is to mark you as his people. Yet at the same time, now he's wrapping up and he's warning us. He is giving parameters. Uh, now remember, this is, this is the reality of a broken world. Pay attention. Beware is the language that he is using. There is a broad road that leads to destruction. There is an easy way in front of you that leads to destruction, the narrow way that leads to life. And this broad way is accompanied by many. The crowd will go this way. Few will find the narrow way. And now he goes on then, because it leads to this false prophet, because it leads to an odd question. I mean, at some level, no matter how broad the way is and how easy the way is, uh, if it leads to destruction, why would you ever go down that way? If, if, it, if it goes to destruction, broad, wide, and easy is the way that leads to destruction. If you know it goes to destruction, why would you ever go that way? I mean, you can imagine the fairy tale, right, where you come to a fork in a road, and this way is broad and easy, but you can clearly see it goes off a cliff into destruction, and there's a smaller... Why would you ever choose that way, no matter how broad and no matter how easy it is, why would anyone walk the broad path that leads to destruction? No matter how broad the path may be, why would you go that way? And yet, Jesus says there are many that will pick the broad and easy way that leads to destruction. 
why? Why would anyone go that way? And an answer that Jesus gives and he presents here for us is because false teachers will lead them that way. Why would anyone go that way? Because as Jim pointed out, there is a crowd going that way. And so there is this desire and, and much of our uh, sinful heart to, for community. And so and not stick out and be different. So if the crowd's going that way, we'll go that way. But also because there are false teachers who will lead down this direction. The reality is we are a following people. And I know that we live in times that like to parade ourselves as we're all unique butterflies and you're all very special and you know, no one does you like you and you're, you are amazing. But experience proves true what the Bible has said all along, that there really is nothing new under the sun. The same old sins, the same old uniqueness being repeated generation after generation, the same old selfishness, the same old self-serving, the same old idolatries really repeated over and over and over and over again. There is nothing new. We don't have to give much thought to the question then of are we following something? You are. There are, the influences in your life are giving direction to who you are and the decisions that you make. The question is not, are you following someone or something or some idea, some principle? The question is, are we being discerning enough to think about and recognize what it is that we're following? We're talking about at some level here is just the practice of Christian discernment. Which, and, and honesty, is very low in our culture today. The idea that we would practice discernment about the voices and the things that we are following, that are speaking into our life, that we should, at some very, very real level, judge the voices that are coming to us, to if they're leading us down the broad road to destruction or the narrow way to life. And Jesus is talking about this... this, this uh, this principle of Christian discernment because there are false prophets out there and they're dressed up in sheep's clothes. They look great. They're soft and warm and fluffy on the outside. You think, oh, wouldn't that be nice to, to lay down for a pillow even? And inside they're ravenous wolves starving for a meal who will lead you to destruction. And so Jesus is telling his people, his kingdom citizens, <coughs> to practice discernment. Have you taken stock of the influences in your life? Because they are there. Your life is being influenced by all kinds of voices. And are we practicing discernment to know what it is that is there, who the voices are that are leading us the way that we are going? They may be unconsciously accepted even, but the television that you watch, the news sources that you listen to, the music you consume, the church you go to, the friends that you surround yourself with, the, the social media feeds that you subscribe to, the YouTube channels that you always are reminded to like and subscribe to, those YouTube channels, they are forming you. They, are, they have an influence over your life. There's no way to avoid this, but the effort must be undertaken to discern which voices to affirm, 
which, which voices to listen to and see where they get it wrong, see where they get it right, and, and, and what voices get it right and to affirm and listen to. The work is there for us to not just wholesale swallow everything that is put in front of us because it is a dangerous world out there. There are false teachers, and they want to lead you down a path towards destruction. And so Jesus tells his people to be discerning. The answer is not just cutting out all negative voices or surrounding ourselves in some sort of Christianized bubble, um, and, and because even those aren't as safe as they may think as we may think they are in honoring to God, but but more so to certainly cut out the voices that wisdom say to cut out, but to also carefully weigh and with wide open eyes discern the voices that are around us. You don't have to turn off the TV every time a commercial comes on or turn off every TV program, though the mute button does exist on your TV for a reason. And I fully liberate you to mute every commercial you come across. Because uh, But you ought to ask discerning questions when the world seeks to lure you. Every television show, everything you read, every song you listen to is selling you something. It is, it is pointing you to something that it thinks is beautiful and good and worthy of your affection. It's pointing you towards something. And the Christian ought to operate in discernment. When you watch television, when you listen to something, when you read, when you look at a social media post, you ask yourself these questions. What is this product really selling? What, is, what are they saying to me is the good and beautiful life? What is the good, the beautiful, and the true? What are they pointing to as this is where happiness is found? And discern, do they have it right? Or are they totally missing it? What worldview supports the joy that it offers? So Jesus addresses this by confronting one of the main ways that the enemy convinces us to walk a wide path by following the lead of false teachers. They may seem well in many respects, but inside they are ravenous wolves. And so at this point, I should point out something obvious, but I don't wanna, I mean, I don't wanna leave it unsaid. And one of my, I'll quote a commentary so you don't just think Darren's being mean, but the New American Commentary puts it this way. Greater numbers of people profess Christ than actually follow him. Right. Greater numbers of people profess Christ than actually follow him. So another way to say that is not everyone who claims the name of Christ is actually a Christian. That's an important thing to learn. Not everyone who claims the name of Christ is actually a Christian. I have heard <coughs> pastors say something that basically is, if they claim the name of Jesus, if they claim they're Christian, then you welcome them. That is basically good enough. A self-pronouncement of Christian is enough to bring them in. Jesus would seem to disagree with that. That there are those who would dress up themselves as Christians, but yet lead to a path of destruction and who are themselves on a path to destruction. Greater numbers of people profess Christ than actually follow him. Not everyone who claims the name, the, name, the name of Christ is actually a Christian. Or not everything that calls itself Christian is actually Christian. As someone in this room has shared with me, one of their mentors said, not everything for sale at ChristianBook.com is actually Christian. Okay? 
I just got to say that. Like at some level, there is a lot out there that promotes itself as proclaiming the name of Christ. But inside, it is a ravenous wolf that will lead you astray, that will take you down a path you do not want to go down. And that's why Jesus, and this is not Darren being a meanie to all those people out there who call themselves Christians. Jesus says that people will come along ravenous wolves starving but dressed up in sheep's clothes that would seek to lead you away so step one in listening to jesus is just this initial step realizing that this is a problem and i, I mean that like there is an awareness that needs to happen and in, in our minds that that there are those out there who want to deceive the body of christ that want to pull us away and they will parade themselves as true teachers but they're actually leading us astray i don't want to undersell how tough of a point this is in our world today where we want to be unqualifiedly affirming of everyone but there are false christians out there and there are false christian leaders out there and this is widely recognized when you read through your bible right Step one to keeping yourself from the lure of the broad way by following false teachers is a recognition that there are those out there claiming the name of Christ even who want to lead you away from Jesus. We have to know they're there or we'll never find them. We'll never be able to discern them if we don't first realize that they're out there. So if you're in Matthew, flip back with me. Just do a little Bible work here. Matthew chapter 24, just hearing Jesus again Say this reality. This is here in this Olivet Discourse, right? Matthew chapter 24. You jump all the way down to verse 11. He says, um, well, verse 10, many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. Verse 11, and many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And he can jump down to verse 24 as well. For false Christs and false prophets will arise. And check this out perform great signs and wonders like they're going to show up and they're going to do stuff you're going to think the world's going to think look what they can do look at these signs and wonders maybe they perform a healing maybe they foretell a future event maybe they get it right maybe they do some sort of a wonder they, they perform some sign or wonder that all of a sudden is this authenticating thing like wow look what they have done but what does jesus say False Christs, false prophets will arise, perform great signs and wonders, so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. So he's warning his people, those who will claim the name of Christ but lead them astray, they are on the way. You can look at Paul to the elders in the, in the Ephesian elders in the book of Acts. So go to Acts chapter 20. This is just a, a simply, you know, this is, now we're just cooking this up out of some single passage in Scripture. This is a, a theme that runs throughout this threat to God's people. Paul says to the Ephesian elders, they come down from Ephesus to, to, to meet with Paul on his way back to Jerusalem. And he gives them these admonitions. And he says in verse 29, or verse, let's say verse 28 of chapter 20 in the book of Acts, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Another term there is often used for elders. To care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Verse 29, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. 
And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away disciples after them. Therefore, be alert. This is the reality that happens to the people of God. We can go on back to Romans 16 as a passage along these lines. Let's just jump to 2 Peter chapter 2. 2 Peter, way back in your, in your New Testament. 2 Peter chapter 2, just verse 1. The false prophets also arose among the people, just speaking about what happened in times past. Old Testament's full of false prophets. We just got done reading through Ezekiel. If you're on our two-year Bible reading plan, some of us do it as a group. We just read through Ezekiel, and there's a great Ezekiel 13 chapter, and it's it's full of all these false prophets and all these lying tongues, and then and then showing up. It, it's it's the Old Testament's full of all sorts of false prophets. So Peter is saying false prophets have also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. Who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. False prophets, they're out there. Those who claim the name of Christ do not represent him. They are out there. But so that just establishing that point. Awareness is like it's like AA. Admitting there's a problem is the first step to a solution. You have to first admit this is a reality and it's a problem. That's only helpful insofar as like telling you that's a that's a minefield, but you have to get to the other side. Like it doesn't really help you just to say that that field is full of mines. What helps is, well, how do I identify? The minds. And so Jesus, not only does he say that there are false prophets out there, but he says that there is a way to know them, that you will know them by their fruit. And we get the analogy, right? You can tell what an apple tree is. Well, Andy can tell what an apple tree is by all sorts of reasons. But most of us common folk, we understand an apple tree when it bears apples. And like, oh, I know what kind of tree that is. That's not, or if it bears, if it comes, if it puts pears on, we say, oh, that's not an apple tree. That's a pear tree because we can tell by its fruit, right? Like that's a pretty <coughs> obvious. If you go out to your backyard, there's something vining somewhere around your tree, and it has thorns on it. You don't think, I wonder if this is a grapevine. They don't have any thorns. There we go. See, and if it bears grapes, you know it's a thorn. It's some sort of a thorny vine. But if it, so you, you're able to tell by its fruit. Um, what what is, what kind of a tree it is. And so Jesus uses that illustration. False teachers, you'll know them by the fruit. First step is to know they're out there. And I'm, I spent a long time on that, maybe more than that. But, but the, the second thing is identifying them. You'll know them by their fruit. And so what is the fruit of a false teacher to help us understand who they are? Well, the first kind of obvious thing where we go to generally is just by their deeds. You can know a false teacher by what they do. Are they loving people? Do they are they angry? Do they help others? Do they show mercy? Do they show kindness? Are they long suffering? All sorts of things you can put upon fruit of the spirit. Do they manifest in the world deeds that are commensurate with or in, in, in keeping with what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus? Do they does the individual bear good fruit? Do their deeds give evidence of God's mercy, of God's love? And of God's justice. And for what it's worth, 
this is a very good indicator of a false teacher. I mean, you can, if someone is angry, is hateful, is spiteful, uh, constantly stirring up controversy, those sorts of things, um, there's a really good indicator that their, deed, their deeds are not in keeping with, with Christ's commands, with the fruit of the Spirit. It's a very good indicator. But this alone is not a full indicator. This alone is not a full indicator of a, of a false teacher. There are many ways, and so why do I say this? Because of all that we've heard from the Sermon on the Mount, it's very possible to claim the bell and to give your money and look really good to all the world around you and have nothing to do with Jesus whatsoever. Hmm. Or to carry on in long prayers, and boy, this person bears lots of Christian fruit. They can pray like for 10 minutes these high exalted prayers, but Jesus, their heart's far from him. Or this person, they fat. there's all these righteous things. And in fact, in, in next week, Jesus is going to talk about these kind of people who say, Lord, Lord, they prophesied in his name. They cast out demons. They did incredible works, mighty works in his name. And Jesus says, I never even knew you. Depart from me. So deeds alone are a good indicator, but they do not, they're not sufficient in and of themselves. And so you read the commentaries, and they'll talk about this reality that, that the good, the, the good fruit from a good teacher is their teaching. What is the content of what they are teaching? Does their teaching draw you to Christ? Does their teaching bring about repentance and faith in Christ? Does their teaching point to Jesus? You certainly know a false teacher if they're out doing good works, helping the poor, um, feeding the needy, clothing the homeless, doing all these sorts of things, but they never point to Jesus. They never present the gospel. You know that by their teaching, you know by their fruit, they are not a false teacher. If they don't claim to respect even the Bible, I mean, these are just kind of like, okay, obviously. These are false teachers. They, these are people who might put on um, some sort of garb as a religious organization even and do good works. But there's nothing that points you to Jesus. There's no authoritative scripture. They are not leading you towards Jesus. And there are certainly false teachers out there that do this. There are those who dress themselves up in sheep's clothing, disguising themselves as false teachers. So... But thirdly, not only do we want to check their deeds and their teachings, we want to check their teaching by two, two ways. The first, we ought to, to pay attention to their teaching first by noticing what they leave out, and secondly, what they emphasize. You know them by their fruit, their deeds, yes, their teaching, yes, and specifically their teaching. What do they leave out, and what do they emphasize? Because you can find many churches, many teachers, good deeds, they, they care for the poor. They'll talk about Jesus. They'll talk about the cross, maybe even. They'll talk about God's love. And I can affirm all of those things. Absolutely. God is a God of love. Jesus died on the cross. Absolutely. Affirm all sorts of true things. But they might omit that you're a sinner in need of saving. They might, they might omit that what Jesus was doing on the cross was not giving you an example just to follow, but he was actually absorbing the punishment for your sin upon the cross. And you omit, omit that part of the work of the cross, you're, in big, you're missing a lot. You're missing a lot. They might point to God as love. Yes, God is they, I've heard I've heard pastors they'll quote the passage that God abounding in love, full of mercy and steadfast love, and they leave off 
the last section, which is there in Deuteronomy, it says, and will by no means acquit the guilty, which is a really important part right. of that passage. And so you think, oh, they're teaching good things. Yes, but pay attention. What do they omit? What do they leave out? Do they ever mention sin? Do they ever challenge you in, 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 in who you are and who you're following after? Do they ever, do they ever challenge you in any way? Do, there are many buzzwords that surround a Christianish life. But they leave out very essential doctrines that aren't popular. There's no recognition of sin, no call to repentance. What if there's no holiness of God? They love, they love to talk about how God loves you and wants to be with you. Wants, they talk about it as a personal God. But there's no holy fear of God. They're omitting something very important. You read your Bible, there's a fear and a respect and a fright before God that is right and good. That if God were to show up and walk into this room, we wouldn't like, hey, do you want a cup of coffee and let's sit down and let's chat. We would fall on our faces if we were lucky to live before the righteousness, the holiness of God. So we have to pay attention to what they omit, but also what they emphasize. If their emphasis of the Christian life is upon something other than the main themes of Scripture, they're in trouble. God is saving a people for his own glory through the work of Jesus Christ and his life, death, and resurrection. Apply to us through the Holy Spirit. These people, then sealed and empowered by the Holy Spirit through faith, now represent their king in this world until the final consummation of their joy when Jesus returns. So ask this of those speaking. What is their ultimate joy? There are a lot of Christian teachers who still place your ultimate joy in something here in this world. And I want a joyful life here. But the reality is, those who follow Christ, the sermon is not greater than their master. Paul talks about there in Philippians that uh, it is for my grace that it has been granted to you, to you that you might not only be saved, but you might also suffer with him. And so if they emphasize just maybe your, your physical well-being, if they emphasize God wants to bless you and he wants to meet all of your material needs so that you have no desire, no lack. And maybe that's what they always emphasize over and over and over again. Maybe they emphasize the hope of some political agenda. There's one political agenda in this book, and it is that our king is going to return and establish his kingdom on earth where his people will dwell with him forever in the fullness of their joy. That's the political agenda of this book. And if they emphasize over and over again some sort of a national agenda, it's a very dangerous place that they are getting into. These teachers, we must listen not only to what they teach, but what they omit and what they emphasize. And so Jesus is calling and warning his people to be discerning. There are many voices in our world today, and there really always have been, that want to pull the people of God off of the path that honors the king. And Jesus, out of love for his people, warns them, use discernment on the voices that you listen to. Paul warns there in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3. Paul warns and he says that um, the time is coming, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3. The time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears 
they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. What does that mean? I, I'm, my little dog, uh, she has itching ears. And she constantly, if you're standing there, she wants to put her head up underneath there so that you'll scratch her ear and make her happy. And her main objective in coming to me is just do something to make me happy, basically. So that's what it, you know, they're, they're, do something to, to comfort me. And, and Paul is using this illustration of a people that don't want the truth. That's why our second core value is truth here. That God's word is authoritative. What we are about here is not the opportunity to get our ears scratched so that we might feel better about our own self-independence, whatever but so that we might hear the truth about who God is and might feel secure and happy, not in ourselves, but in him and in his love for us. Which we care about truth here because there's time is coming. Engineers, they accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into this. Don't listen for application. Don't listen for just what pleases you. Listen for what is true. One of my most my favorite criticisms that people give me sometimes is that um, Darren didn't make me feel any better. Uh, uh, I will take, I mean, I, I fully admit my own limitations in being very entertaining, very funny, telling very many good stories, uh, you know, or whatever, uh, it's fine. Uh, my goal in here at preaching is not to make you feel better about you in and of yourself. My goal is to point you to Jesus, <laughs> that you be satisfied in him. Any criticism that comes, the reason why it's my favorite, or interest, not favorite, not the right word, an interesting criticism is because I want you to, and that's half the thing, that's half the work I am doing here, is, is to not make you feel good about you, but for you, all of us to recognize our desperate need for Jesus, our desperate need for our Savior, which doesn't make you feel great until you hear, now listen, <laughs> there is a Savior. There is a God who does love you, and he loves you so much, he sent Jesus to earth to live the righteous life you should have lived, died the death that you deserve <clears throat> under God's judgment, so that by faith in him, you might be reconciled to him brought into his family, adopted, made one of his own for all of eternity. There's nothing better than that, folks. I can't, uh, you can find a better preacher, but you can't find a better gospel. That's all, that, that's it. That's it. So don't listen for just what pleases you. Listen for what is true. Listen for what is affirmed and emphasized in the scripture. Don't listen for just what you want to hear. Listen to what challenges you and benefit from it. Discern what is true, what lines up with God's word, and believe accordingly. Why avoid these people? Destruction is their end. That's where Jesus ends up. He's like, they're going to be gathered up and thrown into the fire. And whether you take that literally, like as though they're actually going to be gathered up and thrown into a literal fire, whatever it is, it's bad. It's bad. You don't want to, don't want to go with it. You don't want to go with them. It's not just that life here and now may not be as beneficial and rewarding as it can be if you follow false teaching. It's that right now counts forever. Right now counts forever. There is a heaven to gain and a hell, a destruction to shun. There is a holy and righteous God whose wrath will be poured out on sin and on sinners in the final judgment. That's how the text finishes. With false teachers gathered up and thrown into the fire. 
But there is a good and righteous king. There is a savior. There is one who does the saving for all who would look away from themselves and turn towards him. And passages like this from this morning, they challenge us. They helpfully warn us and encourage us to look away from the destructive and condemning ways of the world, no matter who speaks positively about them, and to set our sights upon our Savior, upon our God, his word of truth, and his promises to us. And may he empower us to do that today. Father, give us ears for your word alone. Give us even the gift of discernment that we might know to when to look and where to see when the things that we consume in our culture and our media that surrounds us, that we might be able to look and discern what's helpful, what points towards you, what, what draws us away from you, God, that we might be found a people not clinging to just what is going to entertain us the most in the moment, but what will give us the most joy forever. I thank you that there is a Savior. I thank you that there is a way of deliverance. There is a way of escape. There is a broad, there is a narrow road that leads to life. Father, empower us by your spirit that we might turn from what is destructive and destroying and turn to what is giving of life. Turn to you, your word of truth, and grab firmly to it by your spirit's help. Help us to do this, God, we pray in Jesus' name.